Hi, everyone, and we're back to the Neil Haley Show and the Total Celebrity segment. And I'm excited to welcome, I guess you probably have worn every hat, a director, a producer, everything. Joel Swasson, how are you, man? And you know what? It's interesting. Your career has spanned a long time, hasn't it? How long have you been in this industry? Um, yeah, it's, it's scary when I look back at it because I realize that that's a lot of water over the dam. But um, I started... Um, you know, like most people do as a, as a PA gopher type guy uh, in the early 80s. When was that? Somewhere in the last century. Really? Okay, so let's start out. Did you always want to be involved in film? Is that something? Uh, not like a lot of people. It seems like there's a whole generation uh, that I grew up with that wanted to be like astronauts and and doctors and lawyers and all the Indian chief kind of things. And then they saw Star Wars and they knew exactly what they wanted to be for the rest of their life. That right. didn't happen to me. I didn't have that epiphany. I just kind of liked art in the beginning. I went to art school, wanted to be a painter, got into the visual side, drifted into animation, from animation into motion pictures. And from there, it was all about just find, finding a job on a set and working my way up. And at a certain point, I think I knew this wasn't a lark and it was something I'd like to do for a while. Um, I didn't know that while would be the next 40 years. 40 years. You don't look it. Is actually oh, love you Thank you. Thank you. Is, it's, it's formaldehyde. It's, I highly recommend it. Okay. All right. So let's talk about it. You started out like the PA route, all that different things. So once you found out film is what you wanted to do, did you, how did you say, I'm going to go out and do this? It seems like you just said, I'm going to start from the ground up. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I recommend to anybody who's interested is just work every job you can get. I wanted to be a cinematographer. That was my goal because it, again, it goes back to the visual side of the, of the, of the medium. And I'm really at the end of, or nearing the end of my career, possibly. Um, um, still a frustrated cinematographer. I never got that goal because I wound up finding something else I could do and somebody wanted to hire me for. And that started off as a writer. I was listening to a producer named Sandy Howard that I worked for back in the, uh, the early 80s um, saying he wanted uh, to do a kind of a dog movie, family film, dog gets lost in the New York okay. airport and he has to go all the way across the country to find his mistress, Lillian Gish. And I just said, well, hey, what if he, here's an idea. And I gave him two pages and he said, yeah, okay, you, you write it. And from then on, I was a writer. And then, you know, a pro producer and a few other things and uh, ended up doing some directing. And yeah, a couple of movies came and went during that time. Definitely did. So would you feel when you were part of that, that you were meant for more? You know, I'll tell you one thing that, that I look back at if, if I'm you and I'm, here's this guy that I'm going to interview and, and I look at his resume and wow, this guy does horror movies. That's what, that's what he's all about. And it really wasn't at all what I was about. Um, I like horror films. I don't sort of live and breathe them, but, um, I did a couple early on in my career that were successful and success obviously is what breeds success. And pretty soon you find yourself, I don't want to say typecast, but that's, that's your kind of go-to genre. And uh, I could get movies made so easily as a, a horror filmmaker. And then when I wanted to do, you, you know, nobody wanted my version of my best friend's wedding, you know, <laughs> I just, said okay that's a harder road for me so uh i will stick with the the uh the the, the slash and burn you know see and the thing horror movies in the 80s but i'm gonna go I, I have to go there's two things we'll talk about first then we're gonna talk about harvey weinstein i can't believe we can talk about this is just like the greatest <laughs> questions uh oh see, yeah see but that's your pr hey i can't help it man <laughs> i'm more interested in how, i'm honestly really more interested and no uh, and and Freddie and Nightmare, my co-host is joining. Happy us. to talk oh, about anything. But no we'll worries. just keep talking. So let's okay. talk first about Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, mm -hmm. I watched that movie 150 times. I started to get into horror. I had it on a VHS tape that somebody bootlegged 
Sorry, I took mm -hmm. many, took different things, uh, you know. So I'm, I'm keeping track. Confessions, hey, you know, I'm six foot ten. So get me in a horror <laughs> flick. Are you gonna get? Can you ever? Do you think you could use some of my size? You bet. You bet. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Because I don't want lines. I just want to kill people. Okay. Uh, you, are, you are totally right for us. Hey, Dave, Dave's here. Dave, we're just keep talking, and you could go question. Um, hey, Dave. I'm talking to Dave. Once Dave's on, his people, we don't see the camera yet because we're just going back and forth. Once I see him talk, he's good. Okay. All right. So let's just jump to Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh my gosh. I mean, when, how did you get involved in this film? And did you think it would be such a cult classic that people are still talking about today? Mm. The level. Yeah. Yes and no, actually. Um, and I have to say, I geeked out on that first one just like you did. Um, I saw that movie. And I thought, okay, that is <clears throat> nearly the perfect horror film. And um, um, when Bob Shea at New Line called myself and my then producing partner over to, to make the sequel, it was like, yeah, how could we say no to this? It's just like a dream come true to be involved in that franchise. And it, it was one of the special horror films that I've been involved in. Some of them, you know, not so excitedly, but definitely nightmare. How much, it didn't cost much to make. Like it, it, it was a cult classic, but didn't expect to be, right? Uh, yeah, well, Bob Shea made that film uh, on a wing and a prayer with, with no money. It was like, and he had no profit participation. He sold all his rights away and basically just said, look, I love this film so much. I just want to get it made. And it wasn't until number two that we produced that um, he had a chance to actually make some money and, and save his, his then very fledgling studio. And so as important as Nightmare One was creatively to Bob, Nightmare Two was the survival of his whole dream as a, as a, as a, a film mogul. And uh, it paid off in, in multiples. It was a huge success. And that's, and that's awesome. Dave, were you a fan of Nightmare on Elm Street in the 80s? No, but I was a fan of Bill and Ted. <laughs> okay, so we'll go to the Bill and Ted question for you. We'll save Bill and Ted for you. Oh, man, I can <laughs> please everybody on this interview. It, it, this it is was, great. It was, it, was a, it was a bit, and that's what's funny. It was, it's a bit, oh, here, here's my joke, I guess. It was a bit gory, and that's probably why. I mean, think about this, even though beautiful girls were. There is the, everything that you want in a teenage slasher flick. However, it could be a nightmare for people after watching this film. Yeah. And I remember that, that, you know, am I between that and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they're probably the two most dangerous films for nightmares for people after watching them, right or wrong? In the well, it was a brilliant conceit that, that Wes had for that, that film. And why I think it's so brilliant is you can run away from the Texas Chainsaw guy. You can run away from Jason or, or Michael Myers or any of those guys, but you have to sleep. And how many of us, you know, whether it was finals in school or whatever, we just had to stay awake and couldn't. And that, that slow fighting fighting sleep and staying awake and knowing you're going to lose that battle. And in this particular movie, you lose that battle, you lose your life. And it was so relatable, much more relatable than being in a camp, you know, in a cabin on a, on a lake in a campground or something. It's like, okay. Yeah. Come on. That's not going to happen, but something coming in your nightmares that really happen when we all have nightmares. That's so true. And then to wake up and you couldn't run away. And then to know that your parents were guilty of the reason why you're being stalked in your sleep. So that, that, that whole chain of responsibility and guilt that comes through this. I mean, Wes is a master when it comes to the, the whole psychology of people and not just the latex monster running around, you know, chopping people up. That's what I really got into. What was your job as a producer when you have someone working like Wes? And then I'm going to allow Bill and Ted questions because Dave's already frightened by the nightmare question. Dave's all, he's wandered off already. Um, come back, Dave. We'll get to Dave, Bill No, and no, Ted. He, he's still, he's, he doesn't have his camera on. That's okay. It's fine. I know, I'm we, kidding. Anyway, um, I've worked with Wes time and time again over the years um, as a producer, uh, as, as a writer. Um, on uh, 
Dracula 2000 that he, he presented. Um, and um, I've come in and, and rewritten like Scream 4, which you know he was not too happy about. And I, I shot trailers first, what was it? Cursed, I think, that he wasn't happy about. I mean, there were things that, that, that we clashed on creatively, largely because many of those times I was, I was um, um, the guy who was answering to the studio. And he was the other guy saying, this is how I want to do it as an auteur. Um, so I love the man, I have huge respect for him, but it wasn't always like an easy relationship between the two of us. And in the case of, of Nightmare 2, yeah. it was a very pleasant relationship because he wasn't the director. It was a guy named Jack Shoulder. And he had basically sort of stepped back from it and said, you know what, I've, in, I've created the, the world now somebody else gets to inhabit it. And so um, it, was, it was fun to do that. It, it, it's, there's, two, there's two modes in my, my career, one where we create the world and the other one where we come into someone else's world and make a sequel out of it. And then you're bound by kind of a Bible of rules, which is kind of fascinating. Okay, now to Bill and Ted, Dave, go ahead. Well, uh, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, were you doing... Uh... Uh, writing, acting, producing, directing first. What and, um, and how? And how did Bill and Ted come across your desk, so to speak? There was a uh, very famous Italian um, producer named Dino De Laurentiis. I don't know if that name rings a bell to anybody, but um, he came to the U.S. during the '80s and and started a studio, De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. Um, to, to stand up to the studios and, and compete with them. And, um, and he brought us over having seen Nightmare 2 to make his own um, little uh, sort of horror film in that world called Trick or Treat or Trick and Treat, he called it because he had no idea what Trick or Treat even was. He just liked the, the name. Um, and um, so he made this horror film which became a little bit of a cult classic of its own. and the next thing, because of the success of that, he said, hey, um, I'll sign you up to like a five picture deal. So we had a, a development guy named Mike Petzold who was out there looking for the best script he could find. And he brought back in like a week, this script called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and said, you have to make this. And I said, I read it and it, I thought it was just amazingly good, but convincing this Italian producer who barely understood English um, to make this movie about a bunch of kids in in San Dimas, um, California. With it was you know the whole culture of teenage, you know Bill and Ted speak was utterly beyond his grasp. But what wasn't was the fact that he had made one of the definitive Napoleon epics. Uh. And so when he saw that Napoleon showed up in our movie, yeah, that was the that was the, the breakthrough. It was like, oh, Napoleon's in it. Okay. And, and what Genghis about... <laughs> and what? And Genghis Khan. And Genghis Khan. Yeah, he had, <laughs> I don't think he was as wired into Genghis, but <laughs> Napoleon, man, that was it. And then when he was mistranslated, uh, a scene in early in the movie that was, I think it was uh, <clears throat> exterior, the world of San Dimas. And I think he, he, he interpreted it as the War of San Dimas. So the War of San Dimas, Napoleon, that was really enough to get him into the movie. And we were off and running. Well, whatever it takes. <laughs> exactly. That's the, if I can boil my career down to, to three words, it would be that. Now, Keanu Reeves, was that his very first role or was he doing stuff before? No, it wasn't. He had done a very serious uh and a, a, a super movie called The River's Edge, I think before Bill and Ted's, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but when he walked in as Ted, I mean, he just, everybody knew that was, he, there was no more casting after that for that role. He just defined it and owned it and kind of has owned it ever since. I think there's two Keanu Reeves now. There's that guy and then there's the Matrix guy and he sort of- right bounces in between a brilliant brilliant guy and i 
think he's deservedly an icon, but um, yeah, I mean, if there was any kind of aha moment in the movie, in the, in the, in the process of making it, it was Keanu. And his, the actor that was with him, I can't remember his name, but- Alex um, Winter. Yeah, um, a little less known. What has he done since or before? Alex, it's interesting. You couldn't really come up with two more different approaches to the filmmaking as a craft. Um, Alex, I thought was equally good, but he was riding off this kind of thing for us of the Spicoli vibe, you know, the, yeah. from Fast Times. Yes we kind of saw and understood what he was and, and, and how he sort of fit into the thing. And, and I think he did brilliantly, but Alex is a thinker. I mean, he, he wanted to do conceptual movies, avant-garde stuff. He went off and did um, super daring art films as a director and a writer and an actor and um, has done some powerful documentaries recently. Um, and some acting, obviously, he's, he showed up in the in the last uh, most recent Bill and Ted. But um, um, that's his trajectory. He's a he's he's a complete filmmaker. So he's successful in his own right as well. Yes, yes, uh, he is. And he's still getting paid probably for Bill and Ted. Yes, uh, <laughs> a couple of nickels and dimes fall into his lap from Bill and Ted. <laughs> and then they did sure. another one, right? They did was the other this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So jumping here to Harvey Weinstein before his latest project, <laughs> I have to go to the first thing about his relationship with Harvey. And now just, I guess, I don't know where to go with those questions, just your experience working with him. Cause. Uh, um, well, I'll frame it a little bit differently because I worked from the mid nineties on to up till about six or seven years ago. I worked almost exclusively with the Weinsteins in their various incarnations, Miramax and Dimension and the Weinstein Company, but it was almost exclusively with Bob Weinstein, not Harvey, because I did my first film that got me in the door with those guys was a film called Mother's Boys, which Harvey was producing. And he's the first one to hire me. And uh, short story, version uh we didn't click he fired my sorry ass so uh, you know, it's so funny you talk about wes and you not getting all so that you're 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 pretty vicious tough uh director in a way would you say if i, I if anything if anything i'm just too nice and not savage enough for a lot of these people i think no i'm not so much with wes but with with uh other uh, studio execs who want probably more uh, blood in the water than i'm willing to to cause but um but bob bob was a tyrant but somebody that i actually connected with and understood that he was ultimately acting out of love of of the film that he was making and a, and a, and a commitment to getting a job done harvey i think was a different animal entirely that i don't pretend to be able to psychoanalyze except that i was probably uh uh one of the charter members of the uh, Harvey Haters Club, even before the whole Me Too thing oh, wow. came along. And such that whenever I was at, um, at the Weinstein Company, literally I would sink into a doorway and get out of the way when Harvey was going by because I didn't want him to stop and look at me and go, what is that son of a bitch doing in my office? Um, I already fired him. Oh my goodness. Wow. And so, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time avoiding Harvey until there was a certain point when enough distance had been between our encounters that I don't think he would have recognized me and picked me out of a police lineup, in which case I could attend some of the dimension parties and, and gatherings and, and show up on set when he was there. So, um, so yeah, I just, I just found that he was a man lacking in any kind of human qualities that I could relate to. And it wasn't until obviously much later that we all saw that, that there were things that none of us knew that he was doing that yeah. surpassed even what I would have accused him of being okay. at the time. Did, um, did your association with him, even though it was very minimal, have any impact on, you know, when, when, when the proverbial crap hit the fan, so to speak? 
No, um, my, my only question really was, um, and is to this day, how to deal with, uh, I'm, I'm actually fr friends with Bob Weinstein and would work with him in a heartbeat. Okay. Um, and this whole concept that we as a culture, I'm, I'm sorry to drift into this, but That's okay. it's part of the whole Harvey thing is that there's a tendency for the, 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 um, the public to look at Harvey and Bob in the same um, sphere, that they're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin and they're not. Um, and I think there's been a great unfairness caused um, by this tendency to want to drag everybody down by association, that you're your brother's keeper and, and right. that you are responsible for anything that the people in your circle do. And I truly don't believe that Bob was culpable in any way in um, facilitating Harvey, Harvey's predations, except to the extent that he might have not stopped him soon enough. But they were barely speaking, if at all, for the last five years that I was working there. I mean, there was an enmity between those two that I don't pretend to understand fully, but they were not co-conspirators in Harvey's um, affairs. And so that to me, that's the downfall of both brothers, I think was um, an over, over extension of the revulsion that people had toward Harvey. Hmm. All right. So, so tell us about the, the new film, Max, we're coming close to running out of time. My best yeah. worst adventure. It's a family film. I was thinking we're going to go horror and slashing. Now you're totally just taking me the next horror film. I'm going to be one of your killers, right? That's for sure. We're going to make that happen. Right. Uh, yeah. You know what? Um, uh, forgive me, but it may be a sequel, you know, cause I, I do a lot of horror sequels and you may wind up like not being the guy that defines that character. You may be the guy. Oh, Oh, so now he's being, he's being played by Neil. Um, <laughs> when before he was being played by somebody we recognized from from uh, Halloween one. Anyway, um, this movie is it is not a horror film yet in a sort of way it is because I couldn't escape that um, that background, I guess, because it's about a girl from LA who's comes from a, a, a shattered family. Um, that causes her to actually become mute. And she winds up essentially being shipped off to this tiny, bizarre um, town in Northern Thailand, um, as if she had been dropped on an alien planet and surrounded by predatory monsters. And so that's how she looked at it. And that's how I sort of, that was my window into the movie. And so um, I sort of ran with that idea. And uh, how you felt so far about everything, how it turned out and everything. It's probably with, with, uh, with respect to, um, to Bill and Ted and, and Nightmare being two of my favorite movies I've worked on. This is my, the film I am most proud of having been involved with because it has everything for me. It has character and heart and suspense and comedy and drama and um, a, a heavy dose of weirdness and all centered around this sport of, of buffalo racing, which is really just crazy in itself. It's these kids that actually ride stampeding buffaloes uh, for sport and risk every time they climb on top of these things of getting trampled to death. Um, and that has become sort of a national sport in Thailand. And, and wow. it, it's truly bizarre. It's like watching Seabiscuit with no guardrails. Wow. Uh, speaking of sequels. Any... Oh, but please do. <laughs> Are you the king of sequels? Is that what I read? Or is that somebody else? Somebody, somebody in some website um, wrote that I was the direct-to-video sequel king and <laughs> okay. um, i i wasn't sure whether it was great to be a king of a small uh empire or whether it was better to 
drop well, that handle it, entirely. Star Wars franchise, it's a good thing. Um, exactly. Any, any uh, talk about um, another Bill and Ted, or are they just too old for it to work? Um, that, to me, that's kind of a certain point one wants to move on. Um, so and it wouldn't got, work new actors, of course, because it's just not the same thing. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think there's something, and this is just me, of course, being proprietary, <laughs> but there's something really charming about the first couple and you just want to leave it. Dumb and dumberer didn't work and you just don't go there too, too many times to the well for me is, is I don't know. It's, there are other things that we can be doing, but um, there are some sequels have more potential than others. I would, for instance, I'd make another in the prophecy series in a heartbeat because there's so much rich, richness there to explore for anybody who has, has seen it and knows what I'm talking about. Um, but now I'm actually into a new thing, um, which is the next couple of films I have coming up are sort of reimaginings of old classic films. Like I'm doing shooting one um, in a couple of weeks uh, with, um, um, Danny Trejo in the lead as uh, a sort of a reimagining of the Magnuson Seven in a sort of a uh -huh. modern context. And another one later on in uh, South Africa, if this whole variant thing calms down, um, which is uh, a reimagining of Treasure of the Sierra Madre, the old bogey film. So for me, that's a different kind of like sequel. It's not like a numerical sequel, but it's taking an idea that was really pretty cool and putting your own spin onto it. All right. So we're going to jump back to Dave and has his final question. That's why he's called the caregiver. You're going to find out, uh, Joel, why he's the caregiver. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. My wife had a stroke 25 years ago. She was only 52 and oh, man. Uh, lost her speech, became paralyzed. But after a couple of years of grieving, she decided to reinvent herself. And now she's like amazing. She does almost everything she did before with one arm and one leg tied behind her back and basically duct tape over her mouth. And I became Dave, the caregiver's caregiver, helping other caregivers survive and thrive this thing called caregiving because 30% of them actually die before their loved ones do. You know, I've, I've been on uh, 50 morning shows. Uh, they're making a movie about our life together. And so my question to you is, um, uh, I believe that everyone is eventually going to either become a caregiver or need a caregiver. Now's the time to prepare for it. Is, is caregiving in your life? Do you know anyone who who has uh, needed care by you or uh, close family members? You know what? I I am so impressed with that because I don't think there's a higher purpose in life than doing what you're doing, which is helping another kindred soul, especially one that's obviously very dear to you. Have a, have a richly deserved life, and the closest thing for me right now, and it's 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 been a real eye opener for a lot of reasons, largely because of what you say that eventually, you know, we will find ourselves being the cared for um, at some point in our lives. But my wife's ninety four year old mother, you know, is now learning about incapacities, and. Mm -hmm. um, when you're fiercely independent, as I bet your wife was, to learn to accept care is as hard as it is to give care yeah. at, at a lot of the time. And watching that, how somebody navigates that, because I, you know, I'm getting to a point where <laughs> I am describing myself as a, a on the threshold senior citizen, I guess we'd call it. And they're done that. Yeah. And you see, you see that this is a trajectory that you're going to have to navigate at some point yourself. And um, what a learning experience to see how somebody does it well. Exactly. How, and and I, I can only imagine just the fact that you're still there and smiling, that your wife has figured it out and taught you some really valuable lessons. We're both smiling. Go to caregiverdave.com and you'll find out why. All right. Perfect. So finish up, Joel. So when are you going to have me in? I'm 6'10", 285 pounds. Got to get me in a horror film at one point in time. Um, do you have time for a quick audition? <laughs> what do you want me to do? 
I want I want you to just look in the camera and and choke it out with your with your scary face. Choke the cam like that. Yeah, like like if the camera was right here, you're gonna reach in and you're just gonna choke that camera out and and you're gonna scare the hell out of us. Okay. Scare me, Neil. Scare me. All I can say is that's a whole lot better than what I expected. Wow. Okay. Wow. I got a little bit of it. What what do you think, Dave? I got a little chill out of that. Uh, well, it would have been better if he was a little further back because I couldn't see from yeah. half the eyeballs up. But oh, he no, saw the no. eyes and everything. That's from pro wrestling. I put my whole wrestling. That's I was a bad guy in wrestling, so I know how to do Yeah, it. no, he did it. And and and, and I think the lean-in was because I leaned back for that. That was like, whoa, yeah. this, guy, this guy is serious. I have to watch that on film. Go figure. <laughs> I've challenged people as boxers and everything. We'll stay in touch. Best place we can connect with you. And the film, where's the best place? Uh, well, I am at uh, at Joel Swasson. Um, our movie, which I'd love you to visit. We have all connections and great reviews and links and other good stuff um, is at uh, my best ADV adventure. Um, uh, and we're on Facebook at my best uh, worst adventure. So I, if you just hit that little Google thing, we old people don't really quite know how it works yet. But if you type in the name on your QWERTY device or whatever, or speak it, you'll see it come up and there'll be all sorts of cool options. We're, we're out today. Awesome. Um, so this is especially cool to be able to talk to you on our, uh, on our debut, uh, day. And, um, uh, Go see it, because if, if, if you like any of the stuff I've ever done, as as hopefully somebody does, um, I think you'll really like this. All right. Awesome. Well, it was an honor, Joel, to have you on the show. Thanks again. Appreciate it. That, guys, was the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. Take care. Thank Hi, everyone, and welcome to the COVID-19 vaccine show, the number one COVID-19 vaccine show in the world, podcast in the world. And, it's, and I'm excited to welcome the host, Dr. Mark Hayden. Dr. Mark, what's going on? We always want to go into the Q&A. It's very interesting. I go into the comment sections and the divisiveness of just having a show like this that gives another option, an oral vaccine, breaks down the vaccine in a way that we do not attack the mRNA vaccine, but still any other information other than the mRNA vaccine, and it causes a lot of uh, chaos, a lot of interruption, and as PBS, as I had a comment a couple of days ago promoting the show on PBS, a lot of people were very angry and wanted to fight just because the only answer is the, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine, nothing else. You know, it's a, uh, if we look at the track history of this pandemic, it's not very good. If you remember Last year, they closed nursing homes. The people in nursing homes died anyway. Only very sadly, they died without their family members being able to visit them. If I had my mother or my grandmother in a nursing home last year and wasn't able to see her in her final days, I wouldn't have been a happy camper. There's been no proof that isolating these people in the long run protected them. You know, this idea that the CDC is somehow going to take away your rights and guarantee you that you're going to live a day longer is hogwash. First of all, they don't have a guarantee that they're going to have you live a day longer. And if you'll notice on any guarantees you get in the United States, make sure you get it in writing. Recently, within the past year, the vaccines came out. We had been on this show, and what we had told people was that the vaccines would not stop transmissibility. Do you remember us saying that last year? Yes. Did anybody else, Neil, in the whole world that you heard in the media tell people before us that, that the vaccines would not affect transmission? No, would not no. stop transmission. We broke that down. No one. Yeah. Did. Yeah. You know, now we've had the CDC director admit 
guess what? It doesn't stop transmissibility. Now, the argument is, is that if it doesn't stop transmissibility, why are we threatening to fire healthcare workers who refuse to get a vaccine? Remember, when they get the vaccine, they're gonna, it's not gonna affect whether they transmit or not. Exactly. Now, if you're a healthcare worker working for the last year and a half in healthcare, taking care of sick people, do you think there's really a chance that you did not get exposed to COVID? What do you think, Neil? No, no. There's no. In fact, you could say, Neil, if I stuck you on the North Pole for the last 24 months, you would not have been exposed to COVID in the air. Okay. So if nobody visited you at the North Pole and you were totally isolated, you would not have had any COVID-19 exposure. But if you were a healthcare worker, you likely were exposed. So you probably already had some degree of natural exposure. Now, the failure of the CDC so far is to demonstrate a cheap, low-cost test where people could prove whether they have immunity or not. That's not been done by the CDC. And that's one of the technical things that needs to be done. But to fire people that are healthcare workers when you're not going to change their transmissibility by giving them a vaccine, isn't that just an insult to them. Now, remember last year, you remember calling all those people in healthcare, healthcare heroes? Yeah. Yeah, they're heroes last year, but they're people that get kicked to the street this year. Yeah. I mean, what does that teach you about your society? You know, it's all about, uh, it's all about power. It's about money. Right. It's control of conversation control of the narrative. And I wish, and you know, we were taught, we were hoping that the internet would give us more freedom of speech. Didn't we hope that, Neil? Right. And it's not. It's not. Because now most of the media, the media takes money to reach people through these organized channels like Facebook, Twitter. They're going to find a ways to lock you out if they don't like your message. That's it. It's sad. Now, let's kind of jump right quick into this in more uh, detail of some questions. We talked about on another one of our programs uh, that you came on a radio show with Wynn Henderson about another. It's you consider it an oral vaccine or you consider it more like HCQ or ivermectin with the one that you can take as an oral that's coming out. You don't consider that an oral vaccine, do you? No, you're talking about the Merck. Merck, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that the Merck may very well be highly successful at re reducing mortality. And, you know, Merck, I think, is a... We know there's a huge difference there because the hurdles that you have to clear for FDA approval are much tighter and more stringent that emergency use authorization through the CDC. And the FDA tends to be a much less biased, much more, uh, much more protections are built in against conflict of interest. So the FDA system, I think, is a non-emergent system, which is very good for the approval of drugs. And, you know, I haven't looked at all the Merck data, and so I can't give you an expert opinion on Merck. And, you know, like a lot of things, there's, I got to tell you when I'm not an expert on Merck, I'm not an expert on Merck, but Merck is not an oral vaccine. There are other oral vaccines coming out in Vaxart. Israel. Right. Vaxart is, and Vaxart. Vaxart is, is, is working on an oral vaccine. So both of those are very interesting. Now, you know, with the Merck, the Merck, and I know you're not an expert in Merck, but it's more of a prophylactic, like even probably like mRNA is a prophylactic. It's not a vaccine because a vaccine stops the spread of transmissibility, doesn't it? I, it? They did in the past. They did in the past. And the reasons why we had vaccines were that these vaccines were, even if you look at an aerosol, which was measles, measles was spread by aerosol. It was said that you had to have 90% of the population vaccinated to stop the spread of measles. 
now Biden gets on TV and he said, what, 98 percent of people got to get vaccinated or 99, 98.9, some crazy number. Uh, is he trying to say that that COVID-19 will mutate into a form that's so transmissible, it'll be the most transmissible virus in the history of the world? Much more transmissible right. than 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 uh, uh, than measles ever was. Now that may well be true, uh, but uh, he needs to be candid. And see, one of the things you're not getting from the CDC is if data doesn't sit fit their plan, they just don't tell you about it. You know, when me and when Neil. When you and I and when Henderson last year are talking about that it won't affect transmission, do you really believe that privately the CDC wasn't also discussing, you know, we've we've looked at what Dr. Hayden does and we agree with him that it won't affect transmission, but we won't tell people that because we want them to get vaccinated. Right. They have to know a lot of these things, Neil. They just don't tell people. And you see, when I do stuff like that, if I did that stuff like that as a physician, if I withheld information that was critical to decision making, I could get sued as a physician. But guess what? These vaccines are not prescribed. We've taken the physicians out of the picture. And not just did you take the physicians out, you took the medical legal consequences, meaning that the CDC, they're immune from prosecution. You can't prosecute them criminally. You can't prosecute them civilly. They're above the law. In fact, I guess you could say Fauci has outlasted the president. I mean, to me, it's kind of mind boggling that Trump's gone, but Fauci's still there, right? Well, he can, because I guess the, they're, they're just not, they just want to look at this. Now, looking at the booster, uh, I didn't, we didn't talk about that last week. You know, President Biden taking the booster on national television and the thought process, I thought that it came out that who's did the World Health Organization say that there was no need for a booster at this point? Let's, let's talk about Biden taking a booster. OK. If I looked at Biden. And I said, hey, Biden, how old is Biden now? Y'all got what, what's the guess? 80. I think somewhere in there. Yeah. OK. He's pushing 80, right? Got to be. Okay. Anyway, you can look it up on, on uh, Wikipedia. Biden is a old, old guy. His immune system is very slow. Okay. I didn't say any, I didn't comment about his cognitive powers. I'm just talking about his immunity. Okay. Is it safe for very old people to take a booster? Because their immune system is so slow they're not likely to have the same degree of hypersensitivity as a younger person. That is very different than telling an 18 or 19 year old, very fit person who's very healthy in their thirties or twenties to take a booster. Have you seen a single person who is young take three or four, five, six, seven rounds of boosters? I think the maximum rounds of boosters so far on Pfizer or Moderna is what? Three now? Right. Is there more than three boosters? I think so. I've not heard about how many. You know. the, how well people tolerate that booster is dependent largely on how sensitive their immune system is. And the younger people are more likely to have a bigger reaction. Now, there was, have you heard of the, the uh, lieutenant colonel who wanted the pilots grounded because some of the pilots have had very adverse reactions? No, I have not heard about that yet. If you Google that, here's one of the things you're likely to find. A lieutenant colonel who is a physician, she begins to note that these people who are pilots, who are in outstanding health, who are in the prime of their health, begin to have serious reactions. Wait, wait, wait. There's a reason for that. If you're in the prime of your health and you've already had exposure in the community, your system may be already sensitized to in any type of intramuscular or IV exposure. If you're an old, worn out, I shouldn't use the term, I'm a, look, I'm almost 60 myself, okay? But if you've got a real dull, slow, elderly, aged, 
uh, immune system, you're not likely to be very sensitive to it. And you could probably tolerate many more boosters than some young person. And the healthier a young person is, if they've had already had a lot of exposure, they may have a bigger reaction to a booster. Now, are all boosters wrong? Absolutely not. Is a doctor wrong if he recommended, hey, get a booster? No. I mean, as long as it's allowed, you know, technically there are no prescription. You don't need a prescription from a doctor. A doctor will get in more trouble by opening his mouth. Right. So who said that the booster was not needed in the United States? Was that the FDA or WHO? Let me tell you that the World Health, the FDA has said right now that boosters are are okay and they're reasonable for people that are elderly, that's older than 65, or that have at high risk. If they're at high risk, they have immune deficiency. The other class that might be at high risk is this. Let's say, Neil, we stuck you at the North Pole for the last 24 months. You had no exposure to COVID. You would be a high-risk person. Mm -hmm. So if you take somebody who is very isolated for a very long time, even though they might be middle-aged, they could be classified as high-risk, even if they didn't have you know, HIV or some immune disease. Right. What's the CDC? What does CDC say about boosters? You know, you know, the the CDC in general, they give the rubber stamp to the big pharmaceuticals, but then they are not in the position that they don't have the same regulatory standards as, as the FDA. And, you know, the FDA has been around for decades and they weren't foolproof. There's a lot of things that slip through the FDA, but at least the FDA tries and does a better job than the CDC. Right. The CDC got its power because, hey, guess what? We're gonna declare it all a national emergency. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and watch out for the emergencies. That's right. Because your rights get taken away in an emergency. All right. So we're going into the winter time. I mean, fall's coming and all these different things. And they're talking about the flu is going to come back hard. And you have the flu and COVID. Uh, I forget what it was called. They're, they're, they're already pushing. Do you see lockdowns coming? You know, if we look at Sweden, Sweden didn't have a bunch of lockdowns. They're not going to have lockdowns. I don't see lockdowns coming in Sweden, but unfortunately, the, the powers that be are going to do whatever's in the best interest of the powers that be. And if they think that that will increase their control, some of the countries right now, one of the countries that had the longest lockdown is Australia. Isn't that right? Right. Australia did all these lockdowns under the cover or the allegation that they wanted to protect the Australian people. Wasn't that their cover? Didn't they say that? Wasn't that the excuse? Then Australia decides to take and get nuclear submarines. How is that consistent with wanting to protect the Australian people? So Australia wants to make its population a target in a nuclear war, so it's going to get nuclear submarines. But then it's going to tell the same people in the same breath, we're going to lock you down because all this is for your good. Okay. So, is, yeah, so yeah. do you see the U.S. locking down or just certain states locking up? The, lock you know, I think that the governors in the different states that are responsive, responsive, the small business, they're going to stay responsive to the people. We used to have health care run on a local level. That it used to be state run. Remember, you had to have a state license. You remember that, Neil, right? State yeah. license. Mm -hmm. And there was some advantages about having local health care guidelines, local medical societies, local medical people. There were some real advantages in that. And there's many dedicated state health directors. Right. We don't have a national database of healthcare information, which is tragedy. Because what we need is one electronic medical records for the entire country. So whether you get lab work or x-ray, it's available nationwide all the time. Anyway, unfortunately, the, the government is trying to centrally control 
the, the government through the CDC, which is a highly political organization, is trying to politicize this and trying to expand their authority. Many of the governors that are Republican oppose it. And one of the things you're going to see happening, Neil, is did you know that some of the, the states with the highest vaccination rates are also where they're getting the biggest increases in COVID? Did you know that? No, I did not know. Look at the rate in, Mar in Maine and in Vermont. This idea that you are going to lock down people, not give them a promise of anything in return, not be held to your statements, have no sense of responsibility. So Ignore your local physicians and the role in which your local physicians and your local medical people can provide. So do you think it's not a good, it's a good idea or bad idea to lock down? You know, under the current conditions now, certainly it, it's a bad idea. There could be a variant. Now, I will say this, Neil. I have talked on this show. The, the pathology that we see in COVID tends to be about the same, even in the new variants. In other words, even in the new variants, People don't die until about 14th, 15th, 16th day of exposure. If there is a mutation that it produces a toxin, that might change to just a few days and the mortality rate could go from one in a thousand, maybe as high as we don't want to speculate, but much, 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 much higher. We as a country should be focusing on having Zoom meetings we should be converting into autonomous farming, being able to do everything. We don't need to all meet. We need to meet on Zoom. We need to have high quality Zoom meetings. The day in which I should drive in a car to meet people, breathe in their face, that should come to an end. We are not gonna get COVID out of the air. It's gonna be around. So let's learn to live with COVID existing in the environment. Let's be able to run a farm. Let's be able to get our jobs done and have safer, cleaner air by, by having less exposure to each other in close, close circumstances. Now, Neil, are you there? Yes. About four or five months ago, I think I told you I was coming out with some stuff, didn't I? Yes. You know, in some ways, I should apologize because I don't get around to everything on my bucket list. I know my days are numbered, but there's a lot of important things I want to do that I still don't get around to. Do you have a bucket list, Neil? Yeah, uh, I'm starting that bucket list now for sure. Realize, Neil, you know, your days are numbered. Right. And, you know, when you see your kids – you're not guaranteed you're going to see them next year. They may be gone. You may be gone. Right. Encourage them to do the important things. You have those important moments with them. Yes. Because that time will be gone. Your, your time will be gone right. before you know it. So do you have something coming up, Mark? Yes. You know, and once again, I actually paid for the patent application, never got around to it. I have not filled it out. But yes, I think it will be a huge contribution. And I think that you'll be able to, we'll be able to cover it on this show. Great. So I think hopefully, God willing, if God wills, hopefully within a month, I can actually demonstrate some of that. We can go over that and we can shift our talk, not just to vaccine and oral vaccine, but to, to the new development of preventing exhalation of virus. And I think that that, when you see that, uh, it will be a mind blower for you. Well, I, I guess that's the right term. Yeah. Ah, okay. I, I think it will make, it will make, be much more effective than masks and help keep our air clean, even in the age of COVID. And because everyone gets to listen to the podcast, the videos have been suppressed by YouTube. So we're moving to Vimeo on the Neil Haley show. So now, from now on, our videos will be only available on Vimeo. We will not promote YouTube for the COVID-19 vaccine show because they are, Pro Pharma that does not want a message like this to go out. So that's going to be a new update. So guys, check it out. 
all the social media embedding. We're going to all put it on Vimeo because YouTube has the right to take it down. Vimeo doesn't. So you always end the show. You kind of already kind of with a, with a, with a thought. So tell us the thought. You know, um, when you live in life, all the people sooner or later you die. I die, Neil. We're a uh, walking dead man. It's just a, a matter of time before both you and I die. And all the people that we love will someday die. We have to accept our death. You know, I'm, I'm not, first of all, I'm not a righteous person. Have I ever claimed, told you, Neil, I'm a good person? No, you never have. Have I ever said I'm a righteous dude? No. So I don't claim to be any kind of righteous person. Correct. Right. I mean, I, I just right. want to go on the record for that. That's all correct. Right? All right. So, you know, if we look, are you still there with me? Yeah, I, am, I am still Mark. Yes. If you look in Matthew chapter 31, Jesus points to the sparrows. Do you like sparrows, Neil? Yes. I like birds in all sorts of ways. Yeah. Let me tell you around. I've seen a lot of birds and these sparrows, they're real small, but they got a really brave heart. They will chirp, chirp, chirp and jump all right. around and you'll see a big, ugly black bird and they'll get up around that black bird. And a lot of times the sparrows will like chase it off. They got a heart of heart of us of gold. They're courageous. They're, they're wonderful. I love sparrows because sparrows are small, but they're fierce. What kind of dog you like, Neil? I'm a golden retriever fan. I'm a chihuahua fan. You know, here's what about chihuahua. I got two chihuahuas. Okay. What I like about chihuahuas is they're real, real small, but they got this attitude like they're this huge, big dog, right? Okay. And they bark away. Well, sparrows are kind of like that for bird family. Okay. They're courageous. They're tiny. But God said that if you look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 31, that God knows when the sparrows fall. There was an article I sent you, Neil, and it was on that the gut was like a second brain. Do you remember that article I said yeah. to you? Mm -hmm. Your intestinal tract has as much neurons as a dog's brain or as a, a cat brain. And cats and dogs can be pretty smart. They can have their own personality. Right. You ever had a cat with a personality or a dog with personality? Yes. I know definitely cats and dogs with certain personalities, yeah. Well, you know, you can have as many neurons in your intestinal tract as a dog has in its brain. And there's a great, uh, if you'll Google, I think uh, uh, your gut, your second brain, I think was the article. Anyway, if you Google that, it's a great video. It shows how complex the intestinal processing system is and how it's regulated by all these neurons and how all these neurons are very difficult to understand. God has so many plans and his wisdom and his understanding of things is far greater than anything I could ever understand or you could understand. Okay. If you're alive today, Neil, and you are alive and I'm alive, right? it's not because of Pfizer and Moderna. It's not because of the CDC. If the United States exists today, it's not because communism was stopped by the Vietnam War because the Vietnam War was lost, wasn't it? Right. Yes, it was. Yeah. So we're alive today because it was God's will. We want to love people. We want to love our family and love our children, even love our enemies. But we're all going to die. All of us. I have an appointed day to die. I'm not going to live in fear. When the government wants you, it's one thing for you to submit to a shot. And there's nothing wrong. Look, anyone in the audience who takes a Johnson & Johnson vaccine and knowing that it may not may knowing that it may they may have a, a severe reaction, but they're willing to do it anyway just to keep their job so that they can feed their family or donate to a charity. I respect that person. Okay. So, Neil, if you got friends who take a vaccine just to keep their job, even though they're worried about it, even if they have a, a very